Philippians chapter 2. Lots going on, isn't there? I have a lot of taglines I say after, you know, texts and acronyms I come up with that don't make any sense. And Did you guys see this acronym on the back? Oh, there isn't one on this one? FT, FT Go Get Goo. You guys heard that one before? FT Go Get Goo. For the glory of God and the good of others. Amen. And one of the taglines I also use is the best is yet to come. And I said that recently in a text to somebody, and, and they were kind of older in their age, and, and they actually rejected it. They said, not, not for me. Not for, you know. I didn't comment. I was like, ooh. Not, not for me. The best isn't yet to come for me. I've, I, you know, my life's over or whatever. When I say it, it has a double meaning. The best is yet to come after this life. I mean, that's actually the, the real meaning, right? You guys understand that? The best is yet to come. And I firmly believe that. I oversaw a memorial yesterday at Newport Christian Church for Jim Myers, and, and it was a celebration of life. When the men and women got up to share testimony about Jim Myers and the life he lived and the impact he had, we, we had to stop them. There was too many people. It was like, okay, we, man, we got places to go. I'm late. Because they were celebrating this life well lived. And now Jim is in heaven, and the best is yet to come. But I do believe while on earth, like it says in Psalm 27, had I not believed in the goodness of the Lord, of the, in the, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I would have lost heart. But I believe. I believe. Therefore, be courageous. Wait on the Lord. And I believe that we've seen great things here at South Beach Church, but I firmly believe the best is yet to come. That's how our God works. He takes us from glory, and he moves us to greater glory. This is what he does. He doesn't ever stop. You might stop. You might miss a, a, a message. You might miss an assignment. You might veer off course, but he is always ready, always faithful, always able. And as we continue to gather together as a church and say, Lord, here am I, send I'll say, okay, it would be better if all of us said it. Here am I, send me. me. <laughs> not, not four of us, you know. I get it. And if you guys know where that verse comes from, here am I, Lord, send me. It comes from Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is a prophet of God. And he spent chapter 1 telling everyone, woe is you. Chapter 2, he says, woe is you. He's a prophet. He's pretty fired up. Chapter 3, woe is you. And you know what he says in chapter 4? Woe is you. No, he's, you got to say it like I do. Woe is you. In, in chapter 5, he says the same thing. I'll lose my voice if I keep doing it. And in chapter 6, something wild happens. The Bible says he sees the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah dies. He has a vision. He sees the Lord. And Isaiah says, woe is me. He's a prophet. He's already on fire. He's already moving. And the Lord says, hey, you're doing great, but we're gonna, the best is yet to come. I, I want to use you even more, Isaiah. And I'm going to do a work in you. I want you to see me. And when you see me, Isaiah falls to the ground. He says, woe is me. He's humbled. And he says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the Lord takes a coal from the fire and touches his lips and cleanses him. And then the Lord asks a proverbial question. He says, whom shall I send? Isn't that crazy? The Lord doing the work in Isaiah's life, but the Lord standing back saying, who should I send? Because God will do what God's going to do, but he won't do it without you. Without God, you can't, but without you, he, well, that's a trip. God has really put himself in that position. Yeah, he can handle it. And he's looking for a few good men and a few good women to show himself strong on their behalf. 
The best is yet to come. I firmly believe this. And I want to position myself and I want to position this church in a place where we say, Lord, we're available. Use us. We're available. We'll expend and extend our resources for your glory and for others' good. We'll pour into invest in the youth and in the school and in what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we'll do this for your glory and for others' good. And I believe that the Lord's going to honor the faith that we exercise, that we express, that we walk in every single day. So exciting. Aren't you guys excited? I'm so excited I forgot to play one more video. Watch this video. Play this video from yesterday. This is from yesterday's youth event. Dave, if you have it ready. This is you guys supporting our youth yesterday. quick video, just a quick video in order to encourage you and thank you guys for stopping by yesterday for our drive through barbecue. How many guys thought yesterday was a good day to have a drive through barbecue? <laughs> Not a good day. It was raining and horrible and bad. Guess what? Our youth don't care. They did it anyways, okay, to raise money for camp. Guess how much money they raised yesterday in a drive through barbecue for two hours? I'll give you a hint. $3,000 they raised. That's crazy. That's crazy. Now, we had one donor who gave $2,700. I'm just kidding. I just encourage you guys to be praying for our youth, praying for the school, praying for what God's doing in our lives. There's so many ways to connect. I also forgot in my excitement to mention that our men's group has two more Fridays, 6.15 in the morning, 6 p.m. at night. Guys, make an effort to come fellowship with us on Fridays if you can. It is worth it. Um, and I'll tell you what, God's going to meet you. I told the Lord this Friday, I was like, Lord, I'm only going to go if you wake me up. And at 5.24, I was like, Lord, that's not you, is it? And I wrestled, I was like, that, no way, you know, and Lord's like, bro, you, you told, anyways, I got up and went, and I was blessed, and I just want to encourage you guys, press in, don't take the cues of this world that are doing less things, do more things, you've only got one life, and this life shall soon pass, and only things done for Christ will last, and it's my job to both comfort you in your time of need, but also to get you moving and to equip you and to get you motivated. So let's pray real quick and ask God to bless us now as we get into Philippians 2 and some powerful stuff today. Father, in Jesus' name, we trust you, we honor you, we love you, and we submit to you. We do so, Lord, even if it's being imperfect. Even, Lord, if our flesh shows up from time to time, and even if there's some areas in our life that needs to be worked on, because there is. Just like Isaiah, who said, woe is you, woe is you, and then you changed his tune and said, oh, man, I got some stuff to work on, too. And he started to work on his own heart, and you said, okay, I, I can actually use you better now. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, as you work on us, you would work through us, you would work for us. And I pray, Lord, it would be for your glory and for others' good. It truly would. Bless our community. Lord, bless Lincoln County. 
even more than we could imagine, more than we can take credit for, more than we can forecast or plan of biblical proportion. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for such a time as this, you would raise up, Lord, the church. And would you do it even now, Lord? I, I surrender my life to you, and maybe you would join me and surrender your life once again. Lord, even in light of the text we're about to study, that as we look at Philippians 2, Paul's heart for the church at Philippi, that they would grow, that they would respond to Jesus one more time. So, Lord, I repent of the areas where I've played it safe, of the areas where I've compromised and, Lord, done my own thing. I repent. Maybe you would join me in that cleansing and say, Lord, have your way in me. May your word not return void, but may it accomplish everything you sent it out to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Philippians chapter 2. Let me read to you a few verses. <laughs> We've been here in Philippians chapter 2 for about a month now, okay? Don't blame me. Uh, maybe you should blame me. This is what it says, though, in verse 2. Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. That's the first thing. Having the same love, the second thing. Being of one accord, the third thing. And of one mind. Four things in just two, in verse two, he says. This is what's gonna make me happy as your pastor. Verse three tells us how to do it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Okay, just get over yourself. But he says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Verse four, he says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Verse five, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Stop right there, eyes up here. Verses two through five, he talks about what we should do. Okay, this is the should part. This is the response part. Then in the middle of verse 5, he segues back into what Christ has done. Because until you know what Jesus has done, you're not really going to know what you now should do. Because once you know who your God is and what he's accomplished, only then will you have the proper identity, the proper motivation, and the proper platform. Otherwise, it's going to be all about you. And he says, hey, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to go on to use Jesus as, listen, an example, but also a foundation for you and I to live our lives. And let me make this crystal clear at the beginning of the sermon. We're still at the beginning of the sermon. I know I've talked for like an hour already. This is the beginning of the sermon. The, 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 the premise of what Paul is talking about is because of our vertical reality with Christ, there's going to be a horizontal outworking. If you are saved, if there's been, if there's any consolation, he told us in the verses prior, well then fulfill my joy, be like-minded, be of one accord, be loving, be humble, don't just do your own thing. Seek other people. He has to tell us point blank these things because naturally we don't do these things. You have to be taught. You have to be educated. You have to be equipped to be selfless. Did you know you don't have to teach people to be selfish? Kids are naturally ingrained to be selfish. You don't have to teach them bad habits. You have to teach them good habits. And what Paul is saying to the church is like, guys, this is going to make me so happy. This is going to fulfill my joy. This is going to complete the mission of Christ. Jesus said it differently in John 13. He said, by love one for another, they'll know you're my disciples. It's not the shirt you're wearing. It's not the church you go to. It's not the big hat you have on. Those were all Pharisees back in the day. They proved their religiosity by the way they looked. And Jesus says, nah, it's going to be by the way you live. It's going to be by the hearts that you have. And I want you to know that he is calling believers to have a horizontal outworking of a vertical reality. You can put that in your notes if that's all you think about. How has your vertical impacted your horizontal? 
Because if you say you're a Christian, but we can't see your faith, we can't see your works, we can't see your love, you're just like a gang, you're just like a, you're like a, you're like a bad sound, Paul says in the book of Corinthians. You can have all the gifts, you can have all these things, but if you don't have love for people. Now let me just put this out there, because we grade ourselves, don't we? And we grade other people. We look at the sin in their lives. I can identify your sin, you can identify my sin. Okay, Paul is saying every single believer should be like-minded, have the same love, be of one accord, in one mind, not doing selfish things out of ambition or conceit, esteeming others better than themselves and looking out for others, not just their own self-interest, and they should have the mind of Christ in you. Is that a tall order? Can I just like, is that a tall order? He says this is what it's supposed to be like. And if you have, this is a big one, if you have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he is your savior, and he's your king and you've given your life over to him and you're living for the glory of God and the good of others, listen, this should be seen and evidenced in your life. Maybe not perfectly, but progressively. Would you at least meet me there? You're not perfect. You're not perfect in this, but you want to be like Isaiah. Lord, send me. Ah, Lord, I'm such a mess. And the Lord cleanses you and puts you right back in the fight. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. But as we continue to submit ourselves to the Lord, he's going to help us with this. This can be a challenge, right, because we're all selfish. How many of you guys still struggle with selfishness from time to time? Okay, uh, raise your hand for your spouse if you're married. And, uh, you know, we struggle with selfishness. And this is tough because Paul's now telling us, oh, you're a Christian? It's going to be evidenced this way. Christianity and the ministry would be so easy if it weren't for all the people. I mean, right? Like, people mess everything up. Did you know that 100% of your problems are related to people? And 99% of those people are you? I, I, I checked this out. I did the math. I was like, that can't be true. 100% of your problems are related to people, and 99% of your problems are related to that person that is you. Let me encourage you right now, though, because God's, he's not, this isn't wrong. He set this up on purpose. And your problems right now aren't really your problems. Listen, your problems are actually your solutions. The friction in your life right now, the issue you're dealing with, the person you're married to, the kids you're raising, the neighbors you're next to, the community we dwell in, everything, all the people, 100% of your problems aren't really your problem, it's actually your solution. God has put you in relationships and around other imperfect people in order to create in you that which you lack, in order to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. You will not grow from glory to glory. You will not change without some sort of pressure, some sort of agitation, some sort of challenge around you, and it is gonna come from the people. Now, don't raise your hand right now, but do you have agitation and people and problems all around you? <laughs> yeah, man, you should see my neighborhood, Pastor Luke, you know? I live in Walport, you know, whatever. Can't pick on Toledo every week, you know? I'll get in trouble. We got people everywhere, don't we? And you're part of the problem. Here's, here, I'll tell you what, this is, a big, this is a big idea. Your problem's not your problem, it's your solution. You're not gonna grow better without that person you live with. You're just not. You're not gonna grow better without the community you're part of, you're not. I'll, I'll quote a verse to prove this. It's out of First Peter. Peter knew all about growing. Peter says in First Peter 2, 5, he says, you also, that's us, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter says that you and I are spiritual stones being fit together, built up to worship the Lord. 
Now, in the Old Testament, when they would build the temple, they would use the stones he's referring to, real stones. And in order to get them to fit, they would use chisels and hammers and saws and workmen and laborers and years and years of dust and dirt and sweat and effort in order to get those blocks to fit. And if you know what they commanded Solomon, Solomon was commanded to put all of the stones in order outside of the camp in the quarry so that way when they were brought to the temple and put into place, there was no sound of a chisel or a hammer. When the stones got there, they were silent, and guess what? They fit perfectly. Why? Because all the work had been done in the quarry. Sawing and hammering and chiseling, shaping and fitting. In order that when that stone came, can you imagine what would be required to get these stones? These are Herodian stones, Herod would order these, Solomon stones. These are 40 feet wide, 20 feet deep, 20 feet tall, weighing 20, 30, 40, 50 tons per stone. And they would bring them and fit. You ever get the wrong part in your Ikea box? This is the wrong part, you know. Can you imagine getting the wrong stone? Here's my point. Right now, you're in the quarry. You're being chiseled. You're being shaped. You're being hammered. That person you married, man, you thought they were such a solid rock, but they're just a blockhead. And they're messing with you. And it's God's grace in your life. It's God's gift to you. Your problem's not your problem, it's actually your solution. If you want to be a better man or a better woman. See, all of these directives that Paul gives to us, he says, hey, this is in an imperfect world with sinful people. I want you to esteem others better than yourself. Be like-minded. Be of one accord. Be in love. Like, whoa, how's all this going to happen? Okay. Through a lot of work. Trust. Submission to God. Surrender to his character. Doing what he did and what he's now asking us to do. We're being built up. And if you're being built up, like Peter says, that also means there's probably some tearing down, some things that he's tearing out of you in order that he would have his way in you. Let me go ahead and help you with your part. What's your part in all this? Surrender to the process. Agree with his word. Have you done that yet? Have you read his word and be like, what? Next chapter. You know, like, I don't understand. Or maybe I don't even like it. Have you done that before? Don't lie to me. Anyways, we've all done that. Here's what we need to do. Here's your job. Read it, believe it, settle it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Okay, this is what he wants me to do. Because what I'm telling you is that you have problems, but those problems are actually solutions, and God's going to use the problems to solve the areas in your life, to tear you down, and to build you back up. Your job is to believe it in your mind, and dare I say it this way, to change your mind so the Lord can then change your heart. Because we all have heart problems right now. We see things wrongly. We see things in a negative fashion. But the Bible tells us that we can't change our hearts. Our hearts are wicked and deceitful and inaccessible to us. But the Bible promises that God can change your heart. But God won't change your mind. But if you change your mind, God will change your heart. And so what I would encourage you today is to change your mind. Okay, okay, okay. Now, this is going to be a big deal, by the way. So it's like, oh, just change your mind, you know. You're going to have to go to God's word. When he says esteem others better than yourself, you're like, well, I'll do that to people that are better than me. That's not what he says. <laughs> he says it to everybody. And then he uses Jesus as a proof text in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He says, oh, by the way, in case you're struggling with serving other people belligerently, Jesus came down. What? Came down as a king? No, no. He emptied himself of his privilege and power. And he dwelt among us. And he became a bondservant. That's what the verses say in the upcoming verses. And he dwelt among us. And he was with mankind. 
And he humbled himself to death, even the death of a cross. Like He's using Jesus in what he's done in case, in case you struggle with your humility and your pride, serving others, esteeming them better than yourself. Because you will struggle, hello? You will struggle. We're very good at sizing people up and discerning, well, I'm not going to love them. Totally. You know, I'm not really going to give myself over to this person. And the Lord says, I, I did. I did. They, they killed me. And I prayed for them. I loved them. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. This is so fun, so exciting. There's so many things I want to work out in my Christianity and figure out, so many things I'm lacking in my mind and wisdom and abilities. Like, oh, I got to figure those out. And the Lord boils it down and says, hey, Luke, why don't you just be nicer to people? I'm like, well, that's dumb. He says, no, it starts with that. And everything else comes out of that. Everybody. Everybody, everybody, everybody. All the people, all the people, everybody, everybody. All the people, all the people, everybody, everybody. Because when Jesus came down, he did this. Do you think Jesus was ever like shoulder to shoulder with anybody in the way he loved people? He was head and shoulders above everybody. And he esteemed everyone higher than himself, washed feet, served needs. I'm I'm not messing with you. This is not only going to glorify your God by way of obedience, but this is going to unlock the power of God in your life as you truly believe to esteem others better than yourself, to walk in love, to be of the same mind, to be in one accord, to truly be a peacemaker and walk in unity. Like our Savior did, who knowing all things, should have killed everyone right away. But instead he labored long. He labored long. Let me just make sure you guys understand this because it's not that hard. We complicate it. The Bible says, though, that our minds are where the battle is, that we can have our minds surrender to the Lord. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 puts it this way. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Here it is, here it is. But be transformed by the renewing of your that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Crazy thing happens in your mind, doesn't it? Your mind determines everything you do. Not everything that happens to you. You can't have control outside of yourself. But you have full control over yourself, do you not? The power is in your mind. In these first five verses I've read to you so far, Paul uses the word mind or like-minded four times, four out of five verses. Because if you change your mind, God can change your heart. You can't change your heart, but God won't change your mind. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart. Have you ever seen somebody that has everything going for them? Wealth and health and power and prosperity, and yet they're empty and their life's falling apart. You ever seen this before? Okay. It's because they have a mind issue. They have everything they need, but their mind is not settled. Let me ask a different question. Have you ever seen somebody who's suffering, doesn't have anything, and is up against the wall facing even possible death, and yet is held at perfect peace? Because they too have a mind issue, and they've surrendered their mind to Christ. It has nothing to do with your outside circumstances. We think it has everything to do. Well, as soon as this clears up, as soon as that goes away, I'll be a happy clam. I'll figure it out. I'll be ready to rock and roll. No, no. It's a mindset. Your mind is very powerful. And if you choose to have the mind of Christ, if you choose to go into life seeing it God's way, Isaiah, Lord, show me something. Whoa, what was me? 
And the Lord changes you because you changed your mind and he has now access to your heart and he'll walk with you and give you the joy that you think is outside of you. But it's really God inside of you. And again, I just want to encourage you guys. The battle is, the tools are there right for you and I. What's, what's going on in your mind right now? Who, who, who's bothering you? Don't say it out loud. Did you know that if you bring that person to the altar of Christ and say, Lord, would you just help my mind to be right towards this individual? Maybe it's anger or jealousy. Maybe it's a negative thing. Maybe it's something that's, that's bothering you in some other way and you just can't figure it out. Your heart is wrecked. Change your mind and God will change your heart. And once your heart has been changed, you will be a different person. Paul's addressing a church that didn't have very many problems, but they had a few problems and they were horizontal we're going to see in chapter 4 that there's two ladies that are having a fight. Things aren't going well for them. And he kind of calls them out, puts them on blast for the rest of eternity. Their names are recorded in scriptures. Woo! And anyways, he says, hey, make sure that you guys are practicing these things. And I would just encourage you, take your mind, give it to the Lord. Start to walk in forgiveness right now in your mind. Just choose to in your mind. Lord, okay, Lord, I believe it because you said it. That settles it. You can confess this next, but Lord, my heart's not there yet. I'm going to take care of my part. Would you take care of your part? I heard one person put it this way. You do the motion, and God will then give to you the emotion. You ever wait for the emotion to show up to do the right thing? As soon as I feel loving, I'm going to love that person. But until I feel loving, I'm just going to throw coffee at him. Or whatever goes through your mind. No, no. You do the motion, and God will give to you the emotion. Where are you going to get that? Direction from God's word. Start to walk in love. Start to walk in purity. And if you surrender your mind and align it with God and his word, then he will begin to change your heart and align it with his character. This is paramount. This isn't just good theology. This is good orthopraxy. This is good doctrine that puts to life the lives that we're living. He gives us a couple things to think about. I've already talked about this, but in order to get a running start, I want you just to see this. Verse three, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others others better than himself. I like how he says nothing. Isn't nothing just a little radical? Let nothing, that's kind of everything. And I struggle with this. I'm imperfect at this in my life. I'm better than I used to be. Sometimes I have to ask myself, why are my emotions, what are my emotions all, or ambitions about? What are my motivations about? He says, let nothing be done with selfish ambition or vain motives. And all I would say is bring those things to the Lord and say, Lord, would you purify my motives? One time I was getting ready to teach this college Bible study. I've been studying all day. It was called Jesus Seekers. And I remember the Monday night crowd and I could hear them upstairs at the upper room. I was downstairs praying and I was walking up the stairs and I had to walk one more uh, bend to get up to the top and the Lord busted me. He said, Luke, what are your motives? And I said, well, I want to teach a really cool Bible study because I don't want to look like an idiot. He said, okay, that's, can you purify your motives? And in that moment, I purified my motives and I said, Lord, would you help me to preach a powerful Bible study, not for my glory, but Lord, for their edification and for your glory. Would you anoint me, Lord, so that way they love you more than they loved you before they got here today? And it was literally on step number two. I just changed my motives and my ambition. There's nothing wrong with having ambition. As a matter of fact, I think some of us need a little more ambition. We should be more ambitious. We should get after it and set calendars and set dates and set goals and do things. And then say, Lord, would you make sure this isn't for my own selfish ambition or my own vain glory? And here's the deal. I, I'm very concerned about my life. I want to live right. Do you guys want to live right in your life? Are you, are you all concerned? You, you're here at the 9 a.m. service. You're probably concerned about something. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, maybe it'll be up on the screen. It tells us to serve others. It says, bear one another's burdens, right? It's not about you. Look what it says, though. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What? If you're concerned about fulfilling the law of Christ, Paul says what to do right there. Get over yourself and live for others. Because see, some of us aren't ambitious enough right now. We're just trying to maybe make sure I'm doing it right. I'm over here and I got all this stuff figured out. And I'm all just ready for this. And I'm over here. And the Lord's like, what are you doing? You need to bear the burdens of others. Verse 3 again. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. How, how do we do that? We care about others more than ourselves. And if you're really concerned about being a good Christian or making sure you don't slip up along the way, if your journey is important to you, it's as simple as esteeming others better than yourself. I, I dare you to try this today. Everyone you interact with, everywhere you go, esteem them better than yourself. Because it's what he said to do. Now, in your pharisaical ways and in your cognitive thinking and in your prowess and your pride and all these things, you're like, well, I'm going to esteem them better than myself, but we all deep down know I'm better. <laughs> change your mind. It'll change your heart. You want your Christianity to be real? You want to fulfill the law of Christ? I for sure do. I really do. When Luke Frechet gets to that judgment seat, I want to be able to say, Lord, did I do a good job? And he's going to say, did you love other people? Did you bear their burdens? Did you esteem them better than yourself? These are big questions. Not did you stay out of this particular sin in this particular area, which are also important. But the law of Christ is fulfilled in love. He goes on in verse 4. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is so much like Jesus and so much like Paul. When I heard Paul saying this last night, I was just studying it through, thinking about Jesus and how he lived and modeled. And then the apostle Paul, he was such a servant of others. Once Jesus radically changed his life, he only ever lived for the glory of God and the good of others. Paul was crazy, so dedicated. He would even burn people out in his ministry. They couldn't keep up with them. So dedicated to the mission because we're naturally so selfish, but God is committed to changing our hearts as we change our minds and have them renewed through his word. And here's the good news. The more that you do this, let not each of you look out only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Listen, please. This is crazy. I shouldn't even tell you. It's a, it's a, it's a pro tip, but I'm going to let you guys in on it. The more you live for other people, the more you'll actually experience life for yourself. They say you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. This is evidence in John chapter 4, one of the craziest chapters. John chapter 4, Jesus has taken his boys back to Galilee from Jerusalem. And as they're going to Galilee, the Bible says in verse 4 of John 4, and he needed to go to Samaria, which is off the beaten path. It's a place they shouldn't go. But John remembers, he's like, yeah, for some reason, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. And so they go off the beaten path to Samaria, okay? And as they get, you guys know, Samaritans and Jews didn't interact. They didn't mingle. They weren't friends. And Jesus is like, I'm going to go hang out with those people. And as they get to Samaria, you guys know what happens. The disciples are hungry, so Jesus sends them into the town to get some Burger King and some fries and so to get some food. And so Jesus is hanging out by the well by himself, and a woman shows up. It's a woman at the well. It's a woman who comes in the heat of the day because she wasn't with the other gals. She was ostracized by them, and she'd ruined her life multiple times over, and Jesus knew she'd be there. And so Jesus interacts with her and he loves on her and he cares for her and he leads her through this beautiful conversation, ultimately bringing her to salvation and to understanding. And then when the boys get back, here's my point of the whole story, they come back with their burgers and their fries and they try and give them to Jesus. And hey, here's the food that you sent us to get. And Jesus is smiling. He's like, believe it or not, I'm not even hungry. 
And these guys are so dense. They're like, well, who gave you some food, Jesus? You know, like, what happened? He's like, no, I didn't eat anything. I served this woman. My meat is to do the Father's will. He was so full because he esteemed somebody better than himself because he didn't pursue his own interests in that moment. He denied himself, and he became the most full person in the whole story. He didn't even need anything. We're so need-based. We understand our lack. And there's a pro tip here. Jesus says, as you esteem others better than yourself, as you seek not your own interest but the interest of others, you're actually going to find this current. You're going to find this power. You're going to find this experience. It's what you're actually looking for in your self-serving, in your self-preoccupation, in your self-medication, in your self-help, in your selfish ways, in all of these things that are going to possibly lead you to fulfillment. They're not going to do it. But when you give your life away, you find it. If you try and keep it, you'll lose it. And this is Paul's heart. This is Paul's experience. And may the Lord guide us and direct us this week, serving others. You will find yourself fulfilling the will of God, the law of Christ, and being filled with the food from above. Now he gets into new territory, though. Because if you're struggling with this like I am, you're just a mere mortal. You're like, this sounds crazy. How am I going to do this? He gives us a proof text and an example, a motivation, and a foundation. Verse 5, he says, let this mind, there's that word again, you just got to make a decision today, be in you which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul now uses Jesus, to what he did in order that we can do what we do and until you know who God is and what God has done you'll never know what to do because you don't know who you are this is why theology Bible study spending time fellowship with other believers is paramount and vital to your growth because until you know who God is you're not going to know what he wants from you and until you know what God has done you're not going to be willing or even able to do what God's asking you to do so he uses Jesus and says hey you know what Jesus did all this if you're taking this seriously at all if you want to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better saint, if you know one day you're going to heaven, like, oh, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Look at Jesus. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Now look at in verse 5 again. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Which, stop right there, eyes up here. Did you know it's important for you to know who God is in Jesus Christ so you know who you are and what to do? But did you know that verse 6 tells us that Jesus actually knew who he was? And that's what allowed him to do. Look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus has always been God. And because of that, he was able to condescend and to bless people because it didn't cause him to then grasp or have to rob back that position of godliness. Did you know that when you esteem others better than yourself, you're taking the image of Christ in that moment? You're following in the example of your Savior. And you don't have to worry about Losing your place at the table. Jesus was able to come in the likeness of men, humbling himself as a bondservant because he knew he was God. He knew he was going to stay God. He knew he would always be God. You know this about yourself? We live in so much fear these days. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of man. Eh, reject all of that and live with the confidence, the faith that God has called you his daughter. He's called you his son. He's given to you his spirit. He's given to you his word. And he's asked you to trust him even as his son did. And if you do this, the fruit is going to be evident all around you. Verse 6 again, 
It says, and being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. Does anybody else's Bible have a different translation than that? Somebody have one? Read it, read it aloud. He gave up his divine privileges. The word here is kenosis, kenoo in the Greek. It's where we get the word kenosis, where Jesus emptied himself of his divine privileges. He was God, but in order to dwell with humanity and to serve them rightfully, he emptied himself of, listen, two P words, his power and his privileges. He was still God. When he was on earth, born as a baby, God. When he died on the cross as a man, God. But instead of coming in the strength of God, he came in the form of God, and he emptied himself of those power and privileges in order that he might be a better servant. Kind of reminds me of that show, Undercover Boss. You ever seen that before? You ever seen that before? I've actually never seen an episode. I don't have cable. But I like to see, that sounds fascinating. We have these CEO, high-rises, corporate offices, 28th floor, you know, the big guy up there. And instead of going to the 28th floor that day, he throws on a janitor suit or something like that. And he, he goes down in the mail room and he just hangs out with people. I'm not sure what the whole premise is. It's just a big hoax to me. But he goes down there and he learns some things. And maybe he identifies employees that are just giving their lives to the organization, but they're not being cared for. And maybe he finds some squirrels in the midst or whatever. I'm not sure what he's doing. But it's like Jesus when he came to earth. He's the ultimate undercover boss. When that undercover boss in that show puts on that janitor suit, he's still the boss. But he's being relatable, and he's coming in the likeness of the men and women that work there. Do you know that about our Savior? This is nuts, by the way, like super, super nuts. Look what it says in verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation. How important is your reputation? I can't speak for everyone here, but for a lot of people in this generation, I can speak for myself, reputation is very important to us. It's just important. If your reputation gets smeared or maligned, you start to panic, start to sweat, I've got to fix my reputation. Or, or if you have a good reputation, you, it's kind of a prideful thing, and I understand all that. Paul says here, Jesus... Made himself of no reputation. What? Wow. That's a challenge for me. Why would he do that? So he could esteem others better than himself. So he could fulfill the law of Christ. How powerful. What a serve. Our God. If anybody should have showed up as God, flexing as God, it's God, it's God, right? Instead, he's like, no, I'm going to come in undercover. I'm going to come in no reputation. Not only that, the first thing in, in verse 7, but there's a second thing. He said, taking on the form of a bondservant. What's that? So not only did he come without a reputation, he decided to go even lower and become a bondservant. A bondservant is a servant that is doing so by way of choice. I'm choosing to be a slave. I'm going to serve you in this way. Some people would be forced to be slaves in those days. A bondservant would say, I volunteer in order that I might serve the people around me. Not only that, it says that he came in the likeness of men. Let me unpack this real quick. To understand that God in heaven, Jesus Christ, who's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and finisher, he's everything. He has no beginning because he's always existed. And then creation and all that God has brought to us in his creativity. And then in God's plan, he says at one point Jesus is going to come down, listen, in the likeness of man. Now, how, don't, don't misunderstand me, but how many of you guys are, you know, kind of proud to be a, a man or a woman today? Like you're kind of, you know, rather than being a dog or something like that? Like, aren't you got, you know, humans are pretty cool. Like, we're pretty cool, you know. I got, like, bodies are pretty sick. You know, there's things going on. It's pretty fantastic. Okay, it's nothing compared to God Almighty. And for God to come in the likeness of men, no matter what man or woman Jesus was hanging next to, he was God Almighty. He lowered himself to be in their presence. 
This is his love. And Paul is using this, by the way, of helping us to understand Jesus and worship him more, but that's not his only focus. Listen, listen. Paul's focus is that we would respond then and do the same with the people around us. I'm gonna say it this way and hopefully it doesn't offend anybody unnecessarily, that we would be motivated to additionally come in the likeness of men and to dwell with people around us that maybe are different than you. I don't care how rich or how powerful or how mighty any man or woman was next to Jesus, they were less than him. In an infinite way, a way that we can never understand. And Jesus is like, I love you. Can I have dinner with you? Can I hang out? Do you mind if I wash your feet? Is that okay? And he loved people. And here's the challenge for people like me and people like you. Let's be Christians. And let's come in the likeness of men. Let's be with people who maybe are different than you. I don't want to say use the term less than you because it sounds condescending. But if there's somebody in your sphere, somebody around you that maybe in your sinfulness you would put on that, that, that scale and say they're less than me, that's the person God wants you to love. That's the person God wants you to look in the eye and esteem. You ever seen that group of homeless people that sit by Starbucks? It's so fun when I drive by there because I roll my window down. They all know me. And it just, it fires me up because they know me and I wave, hey, Pastor Log, you know, and I'm just waving and they're waving back and those are my friends, you know. And, and I, sometimes I, you know, roll the window up and take a different route. There's too many of them. And God's made us his children and Jesus demonstrated that love. He came in the likeness of man. I just encourage you, I encourage myself to be like Jesus in this way. Guys, it doesn't stop there. Verse eight, I've got it circled. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I don't even know how to put this into, into articulation for us to understand. Jesus came down. He ripped himself of all reputation. He humbled himself. He became a bondservant. He came in the likeness of men. He didn't stop there. He also marched to the death, but not just death, but to the death of the cross. Even if Jesus just lived his life and died on this earth of a disease or old age or some accident, but instead at age 33, he went to the most gruesome brutal crucifixion, humiliating process known to man at the time for you and for me. This is what our God did. Taken on the form of a bondservant, humiliated in the likeness of men for you and for me. Verse nine, Paul says, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now in these verses we just studied and I'm gonna wrap up with these thoughts. Paul's asking us to do something but then he's pointing to our Savior who's already done it for us. Because once you know what Jesus has done and how it went for him, only then in your mind will you be able to change it and say, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll forgive. If Jesus did it, I'll love. If Jesus did it, I'll do it. I'll change my mind. And your heart might still be closed off right now this morning. I understand. Your heart might still be hard. But if you change your mind, God can change your heart. God will not change your mind but you cannot change your heart and if you came in here this morning and you're all messed up and there's things that are keeping you back and your heart is wrecked hey join the club but God has asked us to renew our mind and to consider our Savior and say I volunteer 
I'll do it. All that my life, if Jesus humbled himself, came in the likeness of men, a bondservant, this was okay dying, not just a normal death, but the death of the cross. And then what happened? God highly exalted him. God raised him up. And at the knee will bow, and the tongue will confess. And can I just say this theologically? Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Those who do it here on planet earth now will do so for salvation. Those who do it in eternity after they've rejected Jesus will do so for condemnation. On the judgment day, every single person who's rejected Jesus Christ, gone their own way, lived their own life, will see him as he is, bow the knee, confess with their tongue, and then be ushered into eternal darkness. Saying, woe is me. There will be no pleas. There will be no challenges. There will be confession. And I pray in Jesus' name that you've all made that confession with your heart, with your mouth. And, and, and I'll tell you what, when I get around believers, it's just so fascinating. I love you guys so much, I can't believe it. You're saved. You're, you're just like me. Maybe, maybe a little better than me. You're, not, you're, you're a mess. Yesterday at Jim Myers' memorial, we were talking about his testimony. Jim Myers was a professional hedonist until age 47. That means he lived for his flesh, for his own vainglory, for his own fulfillment, and had ruined his life in multiple marriages, in multiple children. And he'd found himself so far outside of God's grace, living that lifestyle, until he heard one verse. And the verse was, purify your heart. And when he heard that, he was slain to the core, listen, of his selfishness. And when he understood how selfish he was, his eyes were opened up to God and the magnificence of Jesus Christ. And that was in 1995. And he was born again, saved, changed forever. And in 1997, he owned a Christian bookstore here in town. Some people get saved better than others. Amen? Right? All of a sudden, he's fired up, like gas, all gas, no brakes. Like, if you own a Christian bookstore, like, you're nuts. You're going for it. You want everybody saved. And Jim Myers, an imperfect man, but listen, the thing I point out is that he was radically changed. His mind opened up to Jesus Christ. His heart was radically changed. This is the gift of God. This is the promise of God. This is the humility that we bring to the table. All we bring is our brokenness. Lord, hear my, send me. Lord, hear my, send me. Our motivation, our example is Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, Paul tells us, we're going to start in verse 12 next week. Look at verse 12 with me, though. I want you guys to own this with me this week. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And here's the point. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It goes right in tandem with what he's been asking us to do. Okay, guys, here's what I want you to do. Work it out. Take this Christianity thing seriously. What does that mean? It means be more loving. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but stripped off his reputation, coming in the likeness of man, becoming a bondservant, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Would that mind be ours? Would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes with me? Lord, in Jesus' name, we need you to help us to do these things because in and of ourselves, Lord, we are weak. In and of ourselves, we are wounded. In and of ourselves, Lord, we are rebellious. 
but through Christ we can do all things. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a drastic life change. You need the Lord to extract you from your own mind, from your own self, from your own ways. And you want your life to be radically changed like Jesus, like Paul, like Jim Myers. You want to live a life that counts. Did you know that the Lord is for you, not against you? He's done everything for you. All he asks you to do is to believe, to believe in your mind and to surrender and say, Lord, have your way. Do the work. Make me a fit stone, Lord. And if you're here this morning and you would surrender that way, I don't know what, what place you're in in your journey, where you're at, Lord, in your, in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're just beginning. Maybe you're on the path. Maybe you've fallen into a ditch. If you're here this morning and you would say, I want to let the Lord have his way in my life, would you raise up your hand right now in Jesus' name? I'm not looking. It's between you and him. And I'm going to imagine that there are hands going up, that you are raising your hand. I want the Lord to have his way in my mind. I'm changing my mind about him. Lord, would you now have access to my heart in any area of sin or rebellion or silliness, would you raise up your hand? My hand is up too, Lord. You know the areas. I change my mind and I ask, Lord, you would change my heart, that you would make it your dwelling place even more, that you would do a work through me, that you take your word, renew my mind, and help me to do these simple things that my Savior did, do these simple things that will change the lives of other individuals, do these simple things that are acts of obedience and acts of worship. My hand is up. Lord, would you have your way in us? We thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Lord, as we go our way and we prepare for the rest of the day, may we walk in humility. Thank you for your great grace, for your word, which does not return void. Lord, would you bless tonight?